Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Nation's football podcast. I am Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. And this is before the box score. Uh, we're still here. We're still here. And I think you're still here. And the world is still mostly here. Um, but it has been a harrowing couple of weeks. Uh, BK, how are how is life? How are you doing? You know, all things considered, given what other people are going through right now, um, I have nothing to complain about. I am still going to work every day the same way that I previously did. The only thing that's really changed for me is what happens whenever I leave work. I now come home <laughs> instead of going to the gym. And, I mean, all things considered, given, like I said, what other people are going through right now, I'd say I'm doing a-okay. So, I'm alright, man. How are you doing so far? Good. We're... we're- we're, we're uh, not thriving. I say we're existing, right? What did Mike Anderson always say? Survive in advance? Survive That's right. in advance. Um, win the hour, win the day, win the week in that order. So, um, yeah, days are long. There's a lot of stress. Um, just outward and inward stress everywhere. And, you know, if you're in Missouri, we had the full kind of state shutdown start on Monday. I know other states have been uh, a little bit ahead of Missouri. Uh, as is typical, um, <laughs> but everyone's kind of got a re- you know some kind of relatable experience with what's going on now, um, and just you know from from us to you, just just keep fighting the good fight, uh, do the responsible thing, make a good choice, wash your hands, and um, we'll tr- we'll do our best to talk some football. <laughs> Although, 
although we are going to talk about football in the context of coronavirus. Um, there have been a couple of uh, tweets, a couple of conversations. Uh, I know the president met with uh, commissioners of the major sports leagues in the United States saying that you all need to keep going in September. A um, couple of football coaches, including Mike Gundy, uh, today said that we need to bring the athletes back and get them practicing because they're healthy and we need we need football for the state. Um, so there's been a lot of talk recently about the upcoming college football season in 2020. Um, I mean, simple question, BK, is are we going to have football in the calendar year 2020? And then the follow-up is in, is basically what permutation are we going to see it in 2020? So... I, this is a super complicated question that I'm going to give you a reasonably simple answer to, um, and then we can kind of expand on that. If there is school in the fall, if students are attending the University of Missouri, there will be football. Mm-hmm. If there is no school in the fall, I don't know how you can play football. Here's why I say that. If there is no school, these are not student-athletes. And this is a situation that the NCAA has put itself into. They do not believe that they are employees. They call them student-athletes. And if you are not eligible as a student, and most of these kids probably wouldn't be going to school, I don't know how you can then suggest that they can go out there and play football under good measure. That being said... And maybe they do it under the guise of they're taking 12 hours of online courses and they are quarantined, quote unquote, on the campus. I just, I think that would be such an awful look for the NCAA to do if they are having amateurs who are not paid for this go out there and potentially risk their own well-being in order to play a sport that they are not compensated for. I I suppose anything is possible with the NCAA, but if there is no school this fall, I don't think there will be football. Where are you at on this so far, Nate? Uh, basically the same. I, it, this is, I feel like there's a lot of um, societal um, and kind of intrinsic issues with a lot of things, uh, states, cities, countries, uh, institutions that this virus is really poking holes in. And as far as the NCAA goes, this is one of them. When you have gone time and time and time again to reference student-athlete, then they are a student first and an athlete second. And if students don't come back, then they don't, the athletes, student-athletes don't come back. Truly, if the NCAA trots them out and finds any sort of loophole to get them to play, then the movement for making them either employees or just getting them paid should take off yep. like a rocket um, because now we're talking hazard pay now we're talking about exposing yourself for a university uh, who only compensates you in education um, and you are exposing yourself for money coming into that school <laughs> um, that that is an employee and there's just no other way that any you know anybody could really defend it unless, even with the loophole of like online courses uh you know any kind of attorney who's who's taking this up as far as stu- uh, student athlete compens- compensation goes will cite this first, second, and third and say this is why they are not what you say they are. So if the NCAA was smart, and I know they're not smart, but they do look after themselves very well, they will not, they will not force football back in the fall. But but um, before before you finish that, 
Are we What's sure that? that would be the smart decision? Because the NCAA just canceled its tournament. That brings in, yes. what, a billion dollars. These schools are going like to be that. millions of dollars compared to where they were expecting in the red for this calendar year in terms of their revenues. If they don't have football, and I saw, I think this was last week, uh, Ross Dellinger, who previously covered Mizzou and then LSU and now works, I believe, for F Sports Illustrated nationally mm -hmm. covering college football. He put down for LSU what the balance sheet looks like, basically. Oh, God. Yeah. And he went Rough. through and it was like football was like $60 million in the black. Um, mm -hmm. For LSU, and most schools this is not the case, but for LSU, baseball was like 5 or $7 million in the black. And basketball, I think, was like yeah. 10 to 12 something like that. Basically, those two combined were the only other two sports that made money for the school, and it was negligible compared to what football made. Most schools, mm -hmm. it is football makes money for the school, maybe basketball makes money for the school, and everything else is costing the school money. If they are already potentially losing out on all of that NCAA tournament money and they don't play a college football season, these programs, these universities, these athletic institutions, whatever you want to call them for whichever school it is, some, of, sorry, some are separate, some are part of the university, they will operate at a huge, huge loss this year. So I do think it is fair to question or at least pose the question is it worth a one-year net gain of God only knows how much money would be brought in nationwide for all of these universities with football to play this season if it means risking and probably losing the battle of paying these athletes moving forward? I don't know the Solid answer question. to that question yet, but it's going to be a question that I can promise you is brought up in any meeting between anybody that has any decision-making power, both within individual universities, individual athletic departments, and the NCAA as a whole in Indianapolis. That's the question that has to be asked at some point. Is it worth losing this long-term war to win this battle that might keep our programs afloat long-term? And here's how you get around it. <clears throat> you get around it by starting the college football season in December or the end of December, beginning of January, whatever second semester starts, right? That's how you get around it. Interesting. Oh, we're not doing it in the fall, but we would do it in basically what would be the spring semester. So you would have football and basketball going on at the same time, and you're not missing out on that revenue. You're just kicking it to the 2021 calendar year. What that has to do for everything, <laughs> yeah. let alone like school at the very minimum, but – the NFL and the draft and recruiting and just every other piece that touches college football, which at this point football touches everything in this country. Um, the fallout from that would be incredible to watch. And I don't know what that would mean for fall. I don't know what that would mean for anything, but the way they would be able to do it is we're going to have a season. It's just going to be later. And um, I think some schools will something lose is better than to nothing. the XFL too. I think that could be something. Well, that we and that's see. the other thing. That's the other thing because you XFL has three year, right? Three years, three years out of high school, and then you can play in the XFL. Uh, I think it's just you can come, you can come straight out. Really? I believe oh, so. Boy. Yeah. So wow, there you go. Let me make sure on that. I got to double check, but I'm pretty sure yeah. that was part of their rules. So I mean, you're talking like seniors who are you know who could possibly graduate in December and say, I'm not sticking around for you know, the spring semester to play my last year, I'll just get paid now. Um, that is absolutely a possibility. 
Yeah, and, XFL and if the does NFL not have down, the same eligibility requirements for wow. players as the NFL. So, the, and, just, and think of the product too. I mean, you're, you'd be looking at it almost a full year since teams, the majority of teams, have played a game, mm-hmm. <laughs> and all of the coaching staff, uh, just staff turnover in general, let alone co- head coach turnover. Um, like the the fallout of that would be again tremendous to watch. Um, how scheduling? How would scheduling work? Right? What, are we going to keep everything the same? Are those venues still open, especially neutral sites? Because I'm assuming NFL is going out at the same time. Like there is so much that is going to just push so many dominoes around. How about this? Um, do we have fans? Like it, it, the venues might not even matter. Like you might be playing these games in practice fields, right? Because Could if you be. don't have the fans there, why is it necessary to have these massive venues? Why is it necessary to go play these neutral site games anywhere? Like, you wouldn't need to because there would be no advantage to having a home or an away team, really, other than just the travel benefits of it. So there's a million different um, tentacles to this discussion. It all starts with a very simple one, though, of is there school? If the answer is yes, it's almost like a flow chart, right? If there is school... The answer is yes, you can just play college football. We don't have to worry about the rest of this. But I am at this point, Nate, and there's probably going to be some listeners to this that disagree with me. That's perfectly fine. I hope you're right, frankly. I I should put this disclaimer out there. Nate, we're both on the same page here, I would imagine. We want there to be college football this fall. We want, if that means that there there is good things happening in this country. So I'm rooting for nothing more than for us to watch Mizzou football this fall and to see what Eli Drinkwitz's offense looks like. I'm I'm super excited to see it. I hope that happens. But I'm at the point right now that I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think there's going to be school. And that's where all of these other things become legitimate questions. And we have to start getting some answers and we're going to have to start getting some answers here pretty soon because whether it be fall camp, whether it be the practices that you need to get in before you get into the games, like this stuff comes up quicker than I think people expect. And suddenly you're into July and you're like, okay, at some point these dudes got to practice. At some point these dudes got to work out. They got to get into shape. They got to be ready to play these games. And I, it's going to be really tough for them to be able to do. It's going to be really tough. It is, and you see the countries that are ahead of us, like China and Italy, and uh, I think China's like three months ahead of us, and they tried to open things up, and they quickly closed it back down because it was, it was, you know, they saw a spike in, in confirmed cases. So it's, it's just something that, you know, at this point, I'm not anticipating uh, fall sports to be happening, at least not on the current calendar schedule uh, that we have set up. So um, it, it's, it's terrible, but it's the right thing to do if we have not got this completely contained we don't need like yes we need entertainment i'm going to concede that but we don't need it at the expense of people's Mm -hmm. lives um so i mean you get to that point you know with with the dominoes falling one of those big ones is is just the college football calendar as it's currently constructed um right now we should be we would be going to the black and gold game this weekend oh wow that is yeah um so that would have been the end of spring practice this week um, so that's what twelve practices, something like that, that uh, that they don't currently have. Um, coaches everywhere have been talking about what they are missing out on, and even established ones, right? Like, oh, I don't get my new crop of kids to get the practice, right? Think about the ones that changed position coaches, changed coordinators, changed head coaches. Hello, Mizzou. <laughs> um, there is so much of 
getting a team ready, like you said, it happens very, very quick. And, you know, for the fan, it takes forever and ever and ever. But for a football coach, oh, my God, the calendar is tiny. Like, everything comes so fast. Did you take a look um, at the reporting done by 247 on an anonymous uh, college football coaches and their reaction to this working from home stuff? No, I haven't seen this. So I read it. Bud Elliott and a bunch of other people at 247 did this. It was excellent. Um, but they were talking about, again, everyone was on an anonymous level. They were talking about the headaches that came with working from home. Listeners, if you think the college football coaches now have a lot of time on their hands, you are wrong. <laughs> they have Zoom meetings like five times a day. Uh, they meet with the nutritionist and the strength coach. And then they basically recruit all afternoon, either jumping in kids' DMs, doing uh, FaceTimes, um, sending emails, sending like e-packages, st- like I guess not e-packages, but like sending them like mailer stuff to them. Like that's all they do all day. And then they try and t- talk to their existing kids on the roster. So basically what, what the 247 team broke down, and I'm not going to go too far into it because it is behind a subscription wall, but um, there are three things that they talk about, and I thought it was absolutely interesting. So the first one that comes up as far as the work from home issue is scheme, uh, scheme implementation and just general team stuff in the spring, right? Seeing your guys there on campus, you know, getting your install on whatever your new offense or your new defense is going to be, or what the new mentality is, uh, scheme and team install. Number two, uh, working out, eating, and rehabbing. And then number three, academics. Um, I thought it was really interesting. I want you to jump in there and read the quotes if you're a subscriber to, to uh, 247. was excellent. But BK, with those three things, um, scheme, install, working out, eating, rehabbing, and then academics. To you, what is the most important thing that uh, teams are missing out on right now? Right now, I would probably go with the working out. Um, that might sound strange, but at least in the fall, you still have the opportunity to install. Um, what you do now, and you talk to any coach in the country, and they'll tell you this, what you do now in terms of you're working out, your nutrition. This is where you make the most gains is in the offseason. These guys aren't working out the same way in the season as they are right now. This is where those players get bigger, stronger, faster. This is where the development, the strength and nutrition coach that these universities, these programs are now paying millions of dollars to because they're the ones that have the most hands-on in the offseason with these, these kids. This is what they're paid for is this time right now, now and in the summer. And when you have these kids scattered across the country right now they're back home in texas or oklahoma or illinois or wherever they come from and they're working out at home with a medicine ball some bands and maybe a pull-up bar that they threw up on their door like (laughs) that's not the same as being at the you've been to the mizzou workout facility like that ain't what they're working with right now especially (laughs) now that they have the new one they have i remember whenever they first got the old matsy when when they first built it they went in and they, they had a few videos that they produced talking up everything that they had in terms of the technology that was implemented within those, uh, basically just the barbells. They were talking about how they do hang cleans. And if you don't know what this is, it's basically a, it's an Olympic lift where um, it, it's, it's for explosiveness. So if you were standing up and you kind of bend your knees and you let your arms kind of dangle down to your knee and you're holding the barbell there, if you bring it up and over up to your chest and flip your wrists. That's kind of a a basic summary of what the lift is. But at Mizzou, instead of going for the weights, they were going for velocity. 
So they would mm. they would flip it up as quick as they possibly could. So now you're working for explosiveness and power, and it's measuring every time that you're doing the lift how quick you're able to get it from your knees, basically, or from the ground, depending upon where you're doing it from. But from where you are going from to where you're finishing and then back to where you started. So they measure stuff no matter what these guys are doing. They're measuring their, their squats. They're measuring their hand cleans, as I just mentioned. They're, they're measuring everything at all times. When they're at home, you ain't doing that. You can't do that. It's impossible to do that. So I say all of that to say this. like This is the time when those strides are made. This is the time when you get a player that goes from being a nobody that's a third string player to suddenly having the explosiveness that they recruited a guy for, packing on 20 pounds of muscle in the offseason, and then going into fall camp and you're like, hey, who the hell is that corner that has emerged out of nowhere? This is when that stuff happens. So that's a long-winded way to say I think it's really the working out part that stands out the most to me. Where would you fall on that? I think that's I think that's valid. You know, the whole scheme install. I mean, they still are meeting with these kids two hours a week on Zoom, like doing playbook stuff and mental reps, which you know is not great, but it's better than nothing. And like these kids can still email or call them, like like office hours, right? They can still do that on their own time. So I'm not I'm less concerned about that. I think the health uh, with the working out, absolutely. Um, you know, a lot of these kids, you know, don't come from a lot of means. And their workout might be, like you said, like a broomstick <laughs> nailed to a wall <laughs> doing pull-ups on it. Like, a couple come from, like, you know, decent backgrounds. But, like, you got to, you know, you might still be working at your, out at your high school if that's if that's your, if you're still a freshman, you know, something like that. Um, the other thing that I, did, I didn't even really think about uh, as much either is good weight versus bad weight and the nutritionist and the food that they consume. Um, you know, a lot of these kids, when you're 18, 19, 20, 21, you know, I used to be that too. I <laughs> ate a lot of stupid stuff. Hell, I'm in my thirties. I still eat a lot of stupid stuff. Um, and when you don't have somebody watching you, uh, what do you eat? Probably not the, you know, the chicken breast, <laughs> unseasoned chicken breast that they're asking <laughs> you to eat. Probably, you know, for the offensive linemen, they're not waking themselves up at two in the morning to eat a can of peas, you know, like, like their nutritionists want them to do to pack on good weight. Like they're probably not doing that all that much, um, and, and so to I, that point, you can come back. Yeah, go ahead. Most of that stuff is already pre-prepared for them. Like they have chefs that are oh, making sure. this stuff for them, yeah. right? So it's not just yeah. that they're not eating it. It's that a lot of these kids don't even know how to make it because they're not making it whenever they're back Absolutely at the school. True. It's somebody else that's preparing all of this stuff for them, and then when that whenever they go to the mess hall where they all eat. It's made for them. They go grab it. They've got a lot of them have like color coded um, boards that show them exactly what they're supposed to eat on any given day. And they go grab X, Y and Z. They grab the chicken. They grab the salad and they grab a yogurt or whatever it is on any given day. And that's what they pick Mm -hmm. up. Now they're having to do all of that on their own. So it's just a totally different experience at home. And it. And like, you know, for some of these kids, like especially, you know, the ones from Mississippi or Louisiana, like where is that you know it's it's sorry your options are like the mcdonald's you know and that's it so you know you could if we have a season this year in 2020 you could have like offensive linemen range from like 265 to 380 and none of it is good you could have a receiver walk in at 230 you know like who knows what this could look like uh because they don't have that controlled diet here's the other thing you think about January, like December, January, February, that's when all these kids get like their surgeries to clean up, you know, injuries, lingering injuries. 
you're not at school, you're not insured because you're not doing your your responsibilities for the team. So they might be asking these kids to get these surgeries on their own dime or mm. on their parents' insurance. Uh, do they do it? I don't know. <laughs> like Again, no one's forcing them to do it. Um, and like the other one, you know, so I think I think the health aspect is the biggest, but the other kind of sneaky one is academics, because I don't know if everybody knows this, but like the kind of worst kept secret in the biz that maybe the average fan doesn't know about is that spring is where a lot of these guys make their grades. And if they're doing online classes, you know, maybe they're staying up till two in the morning playing Fortnite and not studying, you know, or maybe like, oh, I'll get to it. And they don't or they, you know, maybe they're like you know, reading their playbook and they kind of put school to the side because no one's checking in on them. Um, we might have a lot of academic <laughs> ineligible players this season because like, I mean, coaches say they're checking in on them, but you know, they're 200 miles away, 300 miles away. Can you do that and still maintain your grades? Um, I don't know. And I think for most, the answer will be yes. For some, the answer might not might be no, though, and that's that's where the problems arise, right? Like you, you could have your just throwing out a random position, starting left tackle that suddenly doesn't make grades, and now yep. you don't have a left tackle going into the season. So you're you're absolutely right, and that's going to be a situation where these coaches have to be up on it, and they have to know at all times what these guys are doing, and I. It would be an absolute nightmare. I can't. I cannot imagine being one of the whether it's the academic coordinators or the head coaches that are having to look through these grades every day, and you see, hey, so and so has an exam tomorrow, and it accounts for sixty percent of their grade during the mm-hmm. semester. Is he prepared? And you don't know the answer to that question. You just don't. There's no way you possibly could yep. know the answer. And during the season or when they're at school, you'd know because you could see if they were in the study hall or not. But now mm-hmm. you don't because there's no way of possibly knowing stuff like that. I know it's a dirty word around Missouri right now, but tutors, hello. They have tutors, and like in the springtime is when that really happens. So they make their grades in spring so they can play in fall. They don't have access to those private tutors. Like, I hope they're doing their homework. I hope they're doing their online assignments. I hope they're taking their tests. I hope they're ready. Um, so it's, it's a huge mess. Did you hear about the kerfuffle with Alabama and the Apple Watches? I did actually, yeah, because they weren't supposed to be using them, and then I think it was, wasn't it Saban that went on and said that they were tracking things with that? Yeah, and it's still unclear. Like everybody caused a stink about it because like, oh, that's that's uh, unlawful monitoring of your players or something like that. And Saban's like, no, look, we're trying to make sure that our kids are making healthy choices as far as food, sleep, exercise. This is an easy way to do it. We're using technology that's available to anybody. And everyone caused a stink, and I have not heard yet what the NCAA has decided. But, like, here we are arguing about Apple Watches and monitoring your players. And it's like, this is, uh, the world has gone crazy, man. Just absolute nuts. Welcome to 2020, where this is this is just the new norm. <laughs> really is. These past three months have been the longest four years of my life. Um, but, um, so, on to Mizzou-specific stuff, because we've talked about, Big picture coronavirus. We've talked about uh, big picture college football and the effect on other teams, lots of teams. BK, I had a really stupid thought last Thursday. I was just like, remember when we were complaining about Barry Odom's record? I wonder what that looked like in a couple of different ways. So I scratched the itch. I did a deep dive on what Coach Odom and his regime did in the four years that they were here. 
And uh, I got to tell you, uh, some of it didn't surprise me, some of it did, but I wanted to kind of go over uh, the article I posted uh, yesterday. This comes out on Wednesday, so this came up, the article went up on Tuesday. Um, and just what what it meant as far as Barry Odom goes. So one of the biggest things that I really noticed, first of all, he finished 25 and 25, which is like the most Barry Odom thing ever. <laughs> like, you thought he was so terrible and he had some big wins. You end up at 25 and 2500. Um, but the couple of things that stood out to me was that his conference record against the SEC was 13 and 19. His division record was eight and sixteen. And that's what and got him fired. His, yeah, and his record against ranked teams one and nine. Record against teams with winning records four and twenty six. Um, so I mean, there's a couple things to pick out here and there. And, and BK, I mean, just when you when you hear these numbers and you look at wh- how he actually did when we take you know diagnose it. Well, it kind of sounds like it was conference record, but what's the, what's the biggest thing that you took away from? Well, it was both conference record and the record against teams with a winning record. I, I mean, it's it's very simple. He didn't beat enough good teams, you know. And at a certain point, you've you've got to have the ability to pull off that upset. You've got to have the ability to go into a game and pull off the upset. And far too often, Odom just wasn't able to do it. And even maybe even more importantly. You've got to win those 50-50, 60-40 games in your favor. Mm-hmm. And Odom yep. never seemed to do that. It's what made Gary Pinkle his money. Gary Pinkle was amazing at winning all of the games that he was supposed to win and occasionally pulling off an upset. And by doing so, you pack up every year if you just win the games that you're kind of supposed to win or have a 50-60% shot of winning, you're probably going to go at least 7-5, and five, like at a minimum. Yeah. Gary Pinkle yeah. did that every year. He found a way to get pack those seven wins, and then in cer- certain seasons, he'd get it up to eight, nine, ten, and in his best years, get it up to 11 or so. But Barry Odom didn't seem to have that inside of him. That that was my biggest takeaway from, the, from this, and it was my biggest frustration with him whenever he was here. What I mean, you you did all of this research. The thing that surprised you the most was what? division record i mean i knew it was not going to be good i didn't realize it was that bad um yes florida and georgia are in your division okay yes any win over those teams are luxuries i understand that you have three other programs that you are peers with that you're basically on the same level with that'd be south carolina tennessee currently and do i say it yes kentucky you have to (laughs) those three teams those three teams you need to go 50% against, right? 50-50, at least, because they are your peers. And maybe one year it's a 50-50 toss-up, maybe it's 60-40 one year, maybe it's 40-60 the other, but you have to win those games, at least on a consistent basis. And instead of going 6-6, six and six, he went 3-9. and nine. Mm. And you should never, ever lose to Vanderbilt, because Vanderbilt does not give a crap about football. And he still lost to the worst Vanderbilt team in like the past five years. So that didn't do him any favors. But he he could he beat Florida once. That was it. Well, I guess technically twice. But um, that second, the first time, that was not a good Florida team. <laughs> that was after Jim McElwain was fired and blah. Uh, but he never beat Georgia. He never beat Kentucky. Two and two against Tennessee. Two and two against Florida. One and three against South Carolina. And then three and one against Vanderbilt. That 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 
to me, that is what did him in. Um, and then, of course, the teams with the winning record. Um, I, I could not name the four teams that he beat with a winning record before I wrote this. Would you be able to pick those four teams out? Um, had to have been that Florida team. Yes, in 2018. That, yeah, yep. that that was the big signature win. Um, mm-hmm. Outside of that, what other game? Ole Miss? Ole Miss was not a winning record. Um, South Carolina. Nope. I'm Never failing. Never a winning record, South Carolina. <laughs> Go ahead. What were the <laughs> so other you three? So you got Florida. You got Florida in 2018. Memphis in 2018. Oh, yeah. They were 8-6. and six. Okay. Then nothing in 17. <laughs> nothing in 19. The other two were Eastern Michigan and Arkansas in 2016. Both oh, my gosh. Seven and six. Yeah. That's it. Two I G5s. put that season out of the back of my mind, man. I, I pretend oh, that season didn't exist. Yeah. But he, that's when he got half of his wins against winning record teams. <laughs> Two G5s, Arkansas, and a ranked Florida team. That, those are the only teams with a winning record he beat. And I'm not saying that he should have been fired because of the 2019 season or because of his record against winning teams or against his record against the – I'm not saying that's why. You know, I, I mean, if you go back, I didn't do the math on this because I only have so much time, but hmm. I can guarantee you Gary Pinkle, 01, 02, 03, 04 – was probably something similar when he was trying to build up the team. Um, so if you had given him a little bit more time, maybe. Maybe he would have turned into another Pinkle. Maybe he wouldn't. But this is the SEC. Okay, He also was a complete butthole to his boss <laughs> who didn't hire him. Uh, that does you no favors. Um, so I think, you know, I, I think the firing was justified, um, but certainly not off of his performance. I would have given at least one more year just to see what would happen, address the whole coaching staff issue, address the player development thing, the you know close games, such and such. But um, I would have given him another year, and I know the, the commentary had, had a lot of hot takes on this, but where, where, where do you stand? I know we talked about this in December, but looking at this with these, these numbers in hand, would you have kept Barry at least one more year, or would you have gone ahead and pulled the trigger and fired him? I think they made the right move. I said this at the time. I still believe it today. I, I understand the argument in favor of keeping him for another year. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have screamed from the mountaintops that it was a terrible decision if they had gone that way. I thought it was bold that they that they went this way. If they had fired him and gone with like a Blake Anderson or one of the milk toast candidates, I thought that would have been a move that I, I would have had a tougher time getting behind. What they did, yeah. though, was made the move that I say that every program should make. In today's game, if you want to take your program to the next level, and this is my opinion, people can disagree with it, and I think that's totally fair. For me, if I'm a program like Missouri, and I want to take my program to the next level, I'm hiring the young, hot offensive mind. And I'm just seeing if it works. And if it doesn't, so be it, and you move on to the next guy. But it might. Mm-hmm. And if it does, that's how you get your program to the next level. Those are the guys that are hitting at a rate, in my opinion, and I haven't done studies on this, but just in terms of anecdotally, those are the guys that take your program to the next level. They give you an advantage at the quarterback position, and no position is more important than quarterback. Find somebody that can make life easier on that guy. Find somebody that's going to develop that quarterback. And find somebody that can then 
take the rest of your roster to the next level by developing them. If you can get all of those things in your coach, you've got a good shot. That's what Gary Pinkle did. I think it's what Drinkwitz can do. He has the potential to do. So I liked what they did after they fired him, and that also kind of influences some of my belief onto why they should have fired him. Sure, sure. Um, so the level that Odom had the Tigers at when he was fired, let's do it by by his record against teams uh, and their final SP plus rank. Okay, easy way to do it. So against the top twenty five teams in SP plus, he was one and twelve. Against teams that ended the year twenty six to fifty, so basically where Missouri is, he was dead even seven and seven. Against teams that ranked fifty first or worse. He was 13-6 and six, um, with one loss in a team that ranked worse than 100th, and that was Vanderbilt. So that's that's where Odom had it. Basically, 25 and up, no shot, 26-50, uh, to 50, you know, trade blows, and 51 and up, you know, he'd, he'd beat him most of the time. So basically, athletic advantage, he can win. If you're dead even, half and half. If you have a talent advantage, he's not going to win. So what is the next level? What does Drinkwitz have to do? Does he have to improve the record against the top 25, or does he merely just have to lose less against the 51 and plus group? I think it's the latter. I really do. Um, I I know that a lot of Mizzou fans aren't going to like hearing that. I understand it. But if if you're performing at the level that Barry did, I don't think he would have been fired if he has one loss against those sub-50 level programs than he does if he's got six of them, right? Those are the losses that stick in the back of your mind. You're like, what the hell just happened? Like the Vanderbilt losses. What is going on? How is this possible? That's Mm -hmm. what Pinkle avoided. And I keep bringing him up because that's the reference point for Mizzou, but that's what he avoided more often than not. And for whatever reason, it happened too often under Odom. I think that's what needs to change under Drinkwitz, at least at the beginning. As you go forward, you would like to see the top 25 wins improve. That is certainly something that needs to get better over time. But if we're going to do this over a four-year chunk, let's say, the biggest thing that I would focus on under Drinkwitz is making sure that you improve against the lower-level teams. And if he pulls off a couple of upsets the top 25 and lays a couple of clunkers against the bottom 75, are you still feeling good? Probably better. Because it gives you the hope, Better. right? Um, yeah. Good is a relative word, but I would feel <laughs> it's always a sliding scale with all of this stuff. If you win more games that yeah. you shouldn't, you can lose more games that you shouldn't. If you don't have those wins against the top, though, you cannot lose those games against the teams that are at the bottom. And so it, at the end of the day, if you can if you can get that 50-plus percentage right up against those teams that are your peers, and you're going blow for blow like you said... You've just got to kind of stay stay afloat with those teams that are in the top 25, and then you've got to dominate the teams that are worse than you. If you can do that, you, you, yeah. you can make some headway at, at Mizzou. Yeah. I am just at, you know, now that he's at Arkansas, because he is a, you know, whatever you think of him as a head coach, um, as a defensive coordinator, you know, there's no question he is excellent, one of the best. And I am just already cringing at, you know, well, whenever the next time we play Arkansas, <laughs> and the the head commentator says, and Arkansas wins, taking Barry Odom's record in the border. What, what do we call it? The borderline trophy border presented by Shelter Insurance, um, being undefeated since he was Missouri's head coach, and now he's got a five-year winning streak. I just, I'm already, 
I'm already cringing at that, and I hate it. <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna have an awesome defense and he's gonna beat us someday and it's gonna make me very sad that's the point he's gonna have a really good defense i don't have any faith in sam Pittman though so um we'll see how that goes for arkansas down there yeah yeah unless he's the next dabo sweeney i don't know sam Pittman. Uh, yeah i don't know he ain't the next dabo <laughs> i hope not. break that news <laughs> I mean, just just remember, Dabo was an insurance salesman two years before he became Clemson's head coach. That's so, like, why it worked. Things have happened. That's why it worked. Because <laughs> he's, a, worked, he's right? a snake oil salesman, and he found a way to make oh it my work. God. <laughs> uh, we'll see. Well, I mean, you know, here we are. We're we're in April, so we've got quite a ways away. We got plenty of shows coming up. We're we're gonna find stuff to talk about. We still got our draft going on. I'm sure there'll be there'll be some rumblings of football happening, little morsels that we can pick at, but. Um, yeah, I'm still in this for the long run. Are you BK? I'm in it, yeah. Um, I did want to bring up one other thing, kind of circling back to our conversation that we had at the beginning. Uh, earlier today, I, I work in s- sports radio out here in St. Louis, and so obviously most of our conversation right now is about the Cardinals and baseball and every, sports returning, basically. Um, there was a piece that went up today by Jeff Passan of ESPN. I highly recommend any of our listeners read it. It's about baseball's return and what they're looking at right now to be able to return this spring. They want to return in May. And basically what they're thinking about doing, what they are looking into, is taking all of their teams out to Phoenix and putting everybody under quarantine at separate hotels playing all of their games in these spring training sites and essentially putting all of them in a bubble, a metaphorical bubble, where they're playing this season out completely secluded with no interaction on the outside world and just basically going to the stadiums, going home, and playing baseball and trying to earn the $10 billion that they would lose if they didn't have a baseball season. The reason why I bring that up on a Mizzou podcast is because when I read that story, that was the most pessimistic I felt about the college football season. Because if Major Uh. League Baseball is going to the lengths of saying this is what we have to do to save our season, and it sounds ridiculous. The entire premise sounds absurd Mm -hmm. until you realize they would only be bringing this up if this was their last resort. So they're like, this is our way to make the $10 billion. We got to do what we got to do. If that's what baseball's feeling like right now, and they're doing it with professional athletes who have a players association and can potentially bargain out of this or could find a way to get something out of this that is positive for their players because they're going to agree to something that the owners want terribly bad because of the money. Think about what college football is potentially going to be going through to get their get their season going. And now remember that we have amateurs that we're talking about. That's why I'm so pessimistic right now about the college football season. It's because if you've got these professional athletes that are doing this, I don't know that there's an equivalent that the NCAA can do with them. So that's where I'm at today. I leave you with that. <laughs> I, I hope to God yeah. that we have a college football season, but um, today was probably the lowest that I felt about it. It was the most pessimistic that I felt since the beginning of this entire situation. Look, if I... Let, let, let's just leave on these rainbows and sunshine here. <laughs> if, if, we are, if, we, if, if I am taking a truth serum, let's just say I am, and I, I'm going to be completely upfront with you guys. If you asked me, should we have a college football season? No. Absolutely not. We should not have any professional sports season right now. 
this thing is so contagious and can be so deadly. Not for everybody, for but for a specific portion of people. The worst thing we can do is get through these summer months of quarantining, staying at home, minimizing our contact, and not removing it completely, but having it at least slow down, and then rush too fast into packed stadiums that hold 40, 50, 60, 70, 100,000 people to watch a sport and start this whole freaking thing all over again. That would be the dumbest thing we could do. Would I be upset about it? Yes. Obviously, this is a college football podcast. I want to see college football. Is it good for BK? Absolutely not. BK's a sports guy. It's what he makes his money off of. I don't want BK to lose his job. Thanks, I don't man. Want, I, I, I <laughs> want to keep our hobbies fun. I want to keep this thing going. I want everyone to have normalcy. I want that. I do not want to sacrifice normalcy for the health of those who are compromised in some sort of way to this specific thing. So, you know, if they come down and say, we're not having a college football season, I'm going to say, good choice, and I'm going to cry in my sleep for the next week, but it's going to be the right choice. Whatever we do, whatever they decide to do, the professional sports leagues, the college sports league, the incompetent NCAA, whatever they decide to do, I hope it is based on good, solid information that's good for the entire country, not just for their wallets. And now I'll get off my soapbox. Just think to yourself at home, if they start this back up and a player tests positive, then what? Because that's a very realistic possibility. It's what happened in the NBA where they had a player test positive and everything shut down. Just this yep. week, Jap- Japanese baseball wanted to go back to work. They were like, we are good. We are clear. Got the green light. All clear. Good to go. Three players tested positive on the same team. The league is shut down again. That's the problem. You can get these things slowed down. But until they are gone, until I, this is not a political statement by me by any stretch, but I'm just saying until we have some sort of vaccine for this, it's going to be really hard for amateur sports to continue. Um, So I I hope that they can. I hope we find a way. I hope that there's a breakthrough with the vaccine. I hope that none of this matters a month from now. I hope that's, that's all the case. I just fear that it's not going to be. That's kind of where I am today. All of our hopes rely on the University of Pittsburgh Panthers and the vaccine that they have come up with that has worked in mice of eliminating this thing. Now, if you all follow college football, you know Pitt, not good. (laughs) But when they hit, they hit freaking hard and take down giants. Take down giants like Florida State and Clemson. They do it. They can only take down the big ones. And they produce some unbelievable talent. LaShawn McCoy, Larry Fitzgerald. (laughs) They do. But ladies and gentlemen, nothing is bigger than the coronavirus right now, COVID-19. So if the pit super weapon is charged up and ready to take down another giant, let it be (laughs) COVID-19. Let it be that. And then let them go five and seven in conference. That's, That's what we're looking for here. Okay, well, enough about that. We will be back in two weeks, of course. Maybe we'll have some good news, but that's the show for today anyway. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. Uh, You can leave a comment. You can rate us. We love all types of feedback. Uh, Of course, you can follow us on the Twitter machine. I am at Nate G. Edwards. BK is at BK Sports Talk. And, of course, you can follow the Rockin' flagship at Rockin' Nation. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time, and until then, 
M-I-Z. See you.